Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Hello, 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 y'all. Welcome to another episode of Room 9. Let's just get right into it. This episode is with an awesome, long-time friend of the family, Michael Nieves, and we get into a subject that is very, very important to me, and that is parenting. Just had my kids all summer, and it was something that was on my mind so much. And so that's what we talk about, and there's so much more we could have continued to talk about, and I hope to continue to talk about at some point. What we got on was really just hitting home how to really take the responsibility of being a parent the right way seriously i guess there's a million different right ways but i feel like we touch on a bunch of those points and it's just a great conversation i love michael he's been a huge supporter and fan of mine for many many years he was one of the main people that were there when my siblings died i think i mentioned in the podcast he is also one of the greatest listeners and coming from somebody who's worked on being a good listener for many years it is not easy and it's an awesome gift when you have somebody in your life that is a real truly a great listener so i love my conversation with him enjoy it check out his linkedin if anybody ever wanted to reach out to him check it out links are below and just enjoy this podcast and if you are a parent or maybe you want to become a parent or maybe you're not even a parent i still feel like there's something you can get out of this episode so i'll listen to it check it out other than that, enjoy this episode with Michael Nieves on parenting, room9podcast.com, or any other wonderful podcast listening platform. You can find more of these. So like, subscribe, do all that stuff. What is this, YouTube? Like, subscribe. You know what I mean. Peace out. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Later. Cool. I am excited about our conversation, man. It's been, I told Christine, this could be the first podcast that I cry on, so I'm not sure yet. Oh boy. <laughs> I was like, this could be, this could be, we'll see. Yeah. So let's do it. I'm recording already, Michael. Um, cool. I don't know. My, my podcast is really, I've always tell people it's a conversation that I record. So it's yeah. always, always laid back. You know, parenting is obviously something we both have experience in. But I guess yeah. I guess to start off, I want to just go with how do I know you, you know, and who are you, and you know, yeah. just you know, we don't got to stay forever on that. But obviously, no. you know, I you were, geez, when was it? Were you the youth pastor at Kaz? Well, that was two thousand, but I was involved in uh, the early nineties. So your your big brother was in junior high or maybe younger. So okay. I don't know exactly the the spacing between you guys, but. Uh, you might have been a, a, a like a little kid, a little kid, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that's when I first met the Cudahy clan way back when. Yeah, so my my wife and I, well, now she's my wife, but we were just youth leaders helping out. Then I was an intern. Then I went away to Bible college. Then I came back, and then I was uh, youth pastor. That's right. Were you? Were you the actual, did we not have a youth pastor when my brother and sister died? You weren't officially the youth pastor yet, were you? Okay, so this is kind of crazy. Um, Derek had left 
Mm-hmm. And I was hired and I came in and it was, uh, I was supposed to start uh, like the next week, literally the next week. Okay. And um, we were just living at my in-laws house at the time and we got the news and uh, it was the day before Thanksgiving. I'll never forget it. It was, uh, it was a shock. It was mm-hmm. a shock. But that was like my baptism into youth ministry at Cass Church. <laughs> was was that? Yeah, that's a good, uh, good yeah. In- intro. But yeah, so then 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 I suppose I was there for like a year, year and a half, and I felt uh, a a major call to plant a church of my own, and that's when uh, I kind of I resigned, and and Cass was in a real bad spot at that time. Mm. But, and what uh, year was that? Do you remember? Yeah, that was. <laughs> Well, that was post 9-11. So okay. it's 2001 when that happened. And uh, I'd already kind of made made the announcement that I was going to go, but then 9-11 happened. So we delayed it a few months because I didn't want to leave the the students in, in a lurch after that big thing happened. I actually just told told my my, my son about when you worked with me, because remember, I started oh, painting right. houses. <laughs> yeah, I was probably like 16, I would assume, I think. Okay. Yeah. So painting houses and I dragged you along with me. Your parents were like, yeah, get him out of the house. Make him do something. I was like, all right. <laughs> oh, that was good. Man, I remember I, th- I made made pretty good money for a 16-year-old that year. Yeah, you did. Memories, memories. And then you planted a church. Yeah. You, you had a church. And how long did you uh, get that, had the church going for? He's uh, 17 years. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a long stretch. That's super crazy. Yeah, it's oh man. Time flies, man. Mm-hmm. So strange mm-hmm. as you, especially as you get older, when you can start thinking of memories in like twenty years and more. It's like yes, it gets really strange and bizarre. Yeah, yeah. To to know what a decade feels like, like oh, remember the nineties? Mm-hmm. Oh, remember the two thousands? And then we're out of it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of mind trippy. Yeah, that is crazy. So, all right, so you're in North Carolina. South Carolina. South Carolina. Keep confusing them. I'm and as far so, south in South Carolina <laughs> as you can get. Like literally, it's it's, it's shaped like right a, by, uh, a heart. Uh, Georgia. Savannah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's the southern tip of South Carolina. Cool. What uh what brought you down there? Was it change? Was it uh? I mean, we don't got. I know you've shared with me stuff about church, which we don't even have to get into, and all yeah. that. But um, I mean, kind of when you decided to leave the church, you started. What, what brought you, uh, why South Carolina? Yeah, it, it was the great escape. It was just getting away from the winters. Um, I was in process looking for a job and uh, I had a nibble in this community. We were coming up from Florida on vacation. We, we visited the church that, that I potentially would be hired at. Um, we thought it was a nice place. We stopped for Chinese food, had some food, and then... Uh, and then I was like, hey, I think we could live here. What do you guys think? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Uh, and good. then back up in Buffalo, you know, my daughter graduated from high school and she moved to Texas. And I was like, why, why am I here? Let's get out of here. <laughs> and then we ended up here. Where is uh, your daughter in Texas? Um, she's in Waco. Okay. You know, Chip and Joanna Gaines, Fixer Upper, <laughs> Baylor. That's pretty much all that's there. What was that series? Come on. What's the series? Fixer Upper. The um, who was the dude who went? Uh, they had the shootout and everything, wasn't that in Waco years ago? Oh my gosh, the Waco in Waco. Oh my Branch god, Branch Davidian. Yes, what the heck was that guy's name? I don't know. Anyway, try to yeah, I remember that. So that was also Waco. 
Yeah. That's right. Cool. That used to be what they were known for. That was the main thing. They actually have a little museum down there. I said you can visit the area and they have like a, a, a grounds that you can walk through. It's kind of hallowed ground. A lot of people died there. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty intense. That was yeah. intense. And then, so let's go uh, your kids, I guess, if we're going to be uh, talking about parenting here. <laughs> yeah. It, it would, I guess it would be odd if I had somebody on who didn't have kids. Although... I bet you there's a lot of people with strong opinions who call themselves parenting experts without kids. Oh, of course. Love people like that. I love the, uh, I always remind myself of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Which I'm not aware of. So that's the, um, the more you know, the less you think you know, the less you know, the more you think you know. Yes. And that's, uh, that is so very, very true. (laughs) Yeah. In every aspect of my life, I have just realized everything, especially things that I'm passionate about and very interested in. And the more you know, it's like, I feel dumb. <laughs> True. It's like you find out all the things that you don't know. So you have, mm-hmm. how many kids you got? Three? Got three kids. We, got, we went girl, boy, boy. So we had a girl uh, and then we had a boy. And then officially we're done, right? Because mm-hmm. like you have a girl and a boy, you're replacing yourself. You're doing your obligation to society. Sad. Um, but I felt like there was some more love in my heart and uh, I wanted another kid. My wife didn't necessarily enjoy being pregnant. And so it I was- I can't imagine that's a good time. You, you know, you start out and you're sick and then you have this middle section where you have the glow and then you've got this giant entity living within you and she couldn't sleep on our bed. She only could sleep on the couch. The baby was kicking bladders, right? And so it's just- <laughs> intensely uncomfortable. But anyway, we had two and I kind of sensed that the window was closing. If if we were going to have a third, I'd really have to convince her. So we call our third child, our option. We we exercise an option (laughs) for a third kid, but I'll never forget. We were sitting outside and I said, I said to the kids, I said, listen, would you want another baby brother, baby sister? And they're like, yeah, we could do that. And then I asked the other one separately. And then we kind of ganged up on, on my wife. And I said, hey, listen, we, we were thinking maybe maybe it would be okay if we had another if you had a we baby brother or sister. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like, oh, you were thinking. That's right. Are you gonna carry the baby for nine months? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, looking back now, we got three. My youngest is 14, just going into high school. If I could have had one more or two, I'd have been satisfied. Now, paying for it, affording them, all that, that's bananas. And I don't know how we would have done it, but as they get older, they they bring excitement and joy and variety uh, and and grandkids. <laughs> and it just seems like it would have been fun to have a bigger family. Yeah. I don't know, man. I had, I had two and I wanted four. Did you? I did. And then I was like, after two, I was like, nope. <laughs> nope. I don't know. You know, I think Mike, for me, I think that one of the biggest things I started to realize is, and it scares me, is the responsibility of being a parent. Like, and mm-hmm. what, what that really means. And I think the vast majority of people have kids. I don't want to say for the wrong reasons. And I don't want to make it sound like a vast majority of people don't care for their children or love their children or wouldn't do anything for their children. But I think if people knew the actual responsibility of having children, I feel like less people would do it. Well, when did you first feel it? Sean, Honestly? Like, when did you feel the weight of the responsibility? I would say more recently than not. I mean, the first few years, so I'm obviously, for people who don't know who are going to be listening to this, I have 14-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter. And I just, I remember, uh, I remember knowing before my daughter was born that I couldn't just be my son's friend. 
you know, I had to be, you know, I had to teach him and guide him and just pass along what I can. And I, I would say, honestly, Mike probably didn't even start till the last couple of years. I think I really started um, when I was able to deal with a lot of my divorce. And obviously, you know, you know, my story, most people who listen to this know my story. And, you know, four years, the last four years have been me working through that mm-hmm. and getting over the, the feeling of a failure, like a father and all that other stuff. Um, and so I would say really the last couple of years, I think the responsibility started really hitting me. Um, I don't know if that has to do with their their delay. I mean, not delay their the separation, but it yeah. just I, I felt it, and I was like, you know, I have to learn how to not protect but teach better. It's mm-hmm. so easy to protect, and I think that's m- most of my life was doing that with my kids in the beginning. Do you think that was a function of knowing how bad things can get, like how dangerous life can be, because of your story? Like you, you didn't want anything to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's exactly uh, what it is. I think, mm-hmm. and but my my reality that hit me was when the responsibility hit me was that I have to not protect my kids from that because that's not possible. I have to right. to teach them and just share with them. I guess I don't even like the word teach, but just really share with them the best ways and the skills and the tools you can use to start getting through those things. Yeah. When you think about anything we've grown from or learned from, it's been through adversity. Mm. And so like I've always, I've always parented with the idea of if my kids are going to fail, if they're going to get hurt, if they're going to need stitches, if something bad's going to happen, I prefer it to happen when they're within my radius, when Mm -hmm. they're within my circumference so that I'm there for them and I can help them process the failure rather than protect them from it. Almost kind of curate experiences where failure is possible, but also they could succeed. And then if they succeed, hey, you just you get to celebrate a win with your kid, and if they don't, then you get to talk through it and uh, help them learn from it. You get to celebrate the loss with them. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, I think that's it, right? You have to teach them how to celebrate the the losing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is important. So, Mike, how let's go? Um, let's go this direction here. You have go through your kids' ages again. Well, twenty one. Okay. Nineteen. Just turned nineteen yesterday, by the way. Awesome. Yeah. And 14. And 14. Okay. So yeah, you're... it's crazy. When you said your oldest was 14, I'm like, wait a second. We're like living the same life right now, <laughs> you and I. <laughs> All right. So you have, you have the three kids, I guess for you, when was it, when was that for you? Let's start with there. That the decision of, I can't just protect them. I have to teach them. Was that something you kind of had early on in your mindset or? Well, yeah. Yeah. That was, so my philosophy of parenting is I'm not raising kids. I'm raising adults. Mm. People always say, as some people say, oh, we want their childhood to be just childhood and innocent. And, and like, well, when do, when do you start training them to be grownups? In my mind, the moment we start teaching them who we are and, and what language is and, and how to be, how to eat at a table, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're teaching them to be grownups. So why protect them from from the reality of life, just let them live it within within proper context. So I'm not saying like let your two year old see an R rated movie because that's stupid. Yeah. Um, we we at every stage we wanted our kids to be the age that they were. So we want them to be a fully engaged five year old or two year old or seven year old and sixteen year old and kind of having appropriate experiences for them. But through it all, it was always. We're, we're going to let them see us and experience us and experience our life authentically and, and transparently so that they can be adults. So it never really was protect them. Uh, I mean, 
I guess, I mean, in, in a weird way, we didn't want to throw them into the deep end of the pool. Well, actually, no, I kind of <laughs> literally did. But it was me in the deep end of the pool and saying, okay, just with jump them. on in with them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we did it. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's um, the important point there is you were with them as they jumped in. Yeah, and then I think that's when you can teach them. One of the biggest things I had my kids this summer, this summer, um, and it was literally the probably the best time I've had with them in ever. I think it was it was really it was really awesome the bonding I had with them. One of the biggest things I, I learned it probably my son was about five, and I remember just seeing something in him that I, that he got from me. I I don't know if it was a mumbling thing or what it was exactly, and I remember that moment it just kind of clicked where I was like, holy cow. Hey, the best way to learn about yourself, watch your kids, watch your parents. But um, I just remember talking to him and I looked at him and said, hey, Bubba, you're you, you doing this. You got it for me. My bad. You know, <laughs> I just want to make you aware of it. And that was a moment I had. And honestly, Mike, it probably took me a little bit because it kind of brought a little, I don't know, resentment's a strong word to my parents. Kind of like, why the hell did my parents ever never told me the things that I was doing that I got from them. <laughs> like, you know, why not? And I think that kind of did a whole shift mind shift for me is what parenting really is. And it came down to just, I realized you just like talk to your kids. We get into this like kid mode where we're just like, talking to them. Like they don't know anything and they're dumb. And it's amazing how much kids know and how much they can oh, make yeah. sense of their environment at such a young age. Yes. Well, you know, all the big talk right now is how our brains are always looking for patterns. Mm -hmm. And so we're, our brains are pattern-making machines. And they'll even create patterns where they don't exist because we just need them so badly. And so a kid's brain is super hyperactive. You know, the synapses are, are going like crazy. They understand language before they can use language. Mm. They're picking up um, facial expressions, all that stuff. And so to think that a kid doesn't understand life is completely baseless. They really do. I mean, even though that all they can, the only thing they can communicate is like screaming when they're infants, they still know that they need to scream and they're connecting the dots. How much time it takes for mommy or daddy to show up into the, the bedroom uh, to get them out of the bassinet and, and what is normal and all that stuff. So they, they get it. Yeah, they, they totally do. I think um, after my divorce, and I'm sure I shared this, I'm sure I've shared this with you when we were talking about parenting at lunch um, a couple months back. But I remember after my divorce, Michelle kind of headed back to Florida. And I don't know what she told them. It was something along the lines of they were just going to visit. I mean, it was nothing really was going on. And my son would have been eight at the time, seven or eight. And then so anyway, fast forward a little bit. He's up here the one year. And I asked him, like, are you mad with daddy? You know, how are you feeling about everything? And the one thing he said to me was, I'm not mad. I just wish you guys would have told me the truth when everything was going down. This is an eight-year-old. Yeah. And he was probably seven, maybe seven at the time. Wow. And he was just like, I wish you would have told me the truth, what was really happening. And mm. I, I vowed from that day to always be, obviously to a certain extent, to always right. be honest and open. Obviously, right. I'm not you know, going to tell my nine-year-old that I you know, was struggling with a heroin addiction quite yet. But I did have yeah. shared with both of my kids when they were here that, you know, because there was a time when I was in jail and then rehab where I couldn't communicate with them. So I was gone. And I remember sharing with them. Um, just had a brain fart. You do that every now yeah, and then. I do that all the time. 
Um, <laughs> I was sharing with them. I was telling them, like, listen, you know, do you remember that moment? Um, I was in a very dark spot. I mean, and I was crying, telling them this. And my uh, nine-year-old daughter, she gets up and she gives me a hug. And she goes, Daddy, I know this isn't all your fault. Wow. And it was just like, boom, just blew my mind. Because, again, this is a nine-year-old, right? Seven, eight, nine, where we're like, they don't know anything. You know, blah, blah, blah. They don't pay any attention. And it's just, it's dumbfounding, man, how they... Yeah. Uh, how they pick up on things and they know things and they recognize things and get things like they get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that level of like acceptance and unconditional love, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't exist anywhere else. Nope. It doesn't. No. So that's why I wouldn't have minded having a couple more kids because that's good stuff. So Mike, how do you find the, uh, how do you keep yourself accountable with that balance, you know, with your kids of the balance between protecting and teaching? Well, when, when I was younger, uh, when, when they were, when everyone was younger, it was my wife, right? So she has a different, she's more of a nurturer, mm-hmm. um, and a protector. So I think that kind of balance happened organically. I heard a talk once and they said that if you look at the way a woman holds a child, a woman holds a child toward her so that the face is facing the face. But when a guy holds a baby, he flips him out and points him out toward the world. And I think like, if, if that's true, and honestly, we're not, when my kids were younger, that is how I held them. I always pointed them out, you know, like, why do you want to see my hairy face just stick up there and <laughs> see something better than that? But I think that's indicative of, of how men and women parent. We're forward facing, we're adventurous, and they're more nurturing. And so that balance in relationship really helped. Now, there also needs to be an understanding too, hmm. so that it's not just conflict all the time where the mom is yelling at the dad. My wife is yelling at me in front of the kid. And so that was another agreement that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to have disagreements, let's have them, but not in front of the kid. Let's, let's, let's like you said, to be honest and transparent before a kid, but, off, but appropriately. So we'd say like, hey, listen, um, me and mom, we got to talk about this. And then we're going to come back to you and let you know what we think. And so we would disappear for a little bit. But yeah, I would uh, often hear from my wife after the fact, like, why did you let them climb that? Why did you let them jump off that? <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I just so you know, I'm not okay with that. So here's another funny story. Maybe not funny, but interesting and indicative of what we're talking about is uh, my daughter came back from college to visit um, a couple years ago. So that makes her a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to, to visit Chicago. Let's see. Trying, I think we were still in Buffalo at the time. We were, we were still in Buffalo. So that means she must've been like a senior or maybe it was her her, the year she graduated from high school, the summer of, I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, she wanted to drive to Chicago and she had, we'd, and she wanted to do it alone. And we had never, we had never done that before. Now we had taken road trips and she's been in road trips since she was in a, in a baby care, you know, baby seat. And we're going back and forth. Like, this is like an eight hour drive alone through multiple States. Are we going to do it? And, and finally I said, listen, hon, we've always parented like, we, we let them take big challenges and we let them go for it. And I said, do we have people in Chicago? Like, okay, we got, we got someone in Chicago that she can connect with or that they can go get her if mm-hmm. something bad happens. And um, man, we were really scared. And honestly, part of your story is the reason why we were scared, mm-hmm. like knowing what can happen on the road. But we said, hey, this is a principle that we live by. And so we let her go. And now it's a story we tell. Like, remember that time when you were like, <laughs> 17, 18 years old, we let you drive. And and now she's that much more prepared for any challenge that comes along. 
and that much more confident. Yeah, that's huge. I something I always say to my kids when we're Skyping or on the phone or whatever, when our kind of goodbyes, I always, you know, I always say, I always tell them, what do, what do I always tell you? And it's like, always be confident and never give up. Yeah. And obviously those are just words. My son, you can repeat them all you want to actually do it is different, but you know, I at least want to start hammering at home a little bit with my kids because yeah. like you just kind of touched on, uh, life's going to kick your ass. Life's going to be tough. Life's going to put up a fight. And you have to be able to have the confidence. You have to be able to run into a challenge and you have to be able to keep your head up while you're doing that. And something like it seems kind of like, eh, it's nothing big, but a drive to let that. I mean, I can't imagine the anxiety, the anxiousness, the worry that you guys were going through. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's nuts. I mean, I think about it all the time, like even think about my kids walking alone to the bus stop. It's like, all right, Mm -hmm. you got to, you got to chill out here. You're just making (laughs) stuff up in your head that hasn't happened. And, (laughs) <laughs> but it's like, that's what you want to do. So I see how it's easy for parents to get into this, put their kids in a cocoon and uh, protect yeah. them. And I wonder, I'm just curious, your thoughts on it, how much of how much that kind of goes from generation to generation in parenting? Oh, that's a great question. You know, like, so, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, you know, what do you, what do you think the uh, what do you think about that as far as like if my parents were extremely overprotective? I'm going to be extremely overprotective and so on and so forth. And how would you go about even this is kind of a side note as we get back to this self-awareness is a strange thing, right? And you have to be (laughs) self-aware. You have to be able to look outside of yourself and look back in objectively in order to, you know, realize you're doing these things in order to realize, Mm -hmm. wow, I got that from my parents in order to realize, wow, I'm going to do the same thing to my kids. So that's, that's a tough thing to get. So I'm just curious, you know, your thoughts on that and, how you you, know, you feel that if that gets passed down often. Yeah. So I think there is an, an instinctive default, which is I'll just do what my parents did because mm-hmm. I like me and I turned out okay. And so that's where marital conflicts comes in, right? Because one parent says, well, mm-hmm. mama says I did it this way. And daddy says I did it this way. And then you have to work that out, which, which initiates self-awareness. So that's a good thing. The other aspect is if you grow up and you're like, have a, an unhappy childhood, you're like, wow, that sucked. My dad did ABC. I am never doing ABC. I never want my kid to feel that way. So I'm going to do the exact opposite or I'm going to correct every mistake. And then those changes happen in a void where we often overcorrect and then end up going down a pathway that is also dysfunctional and unhealthy unintentionally uh, that, that leaves different kinds of scars on our kids. But I believe that transparency and authenticity and conversations where you say things like, wow, that's I screwed that up. My intent was and this, and what you got was that, and we don't want that to happen again. Mm. So I apologize, and we'll try to do better next time. And of course, you scale those conversations for the developmental stage of the kid, which we always did. But I do think that we have to be, we always have to be aware of what it is that we're doing with our kids and how they're receiving it to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. So what I always tell people, as I said, and, and I'm weird, I don't know why I did this, but I read lots of books about marriage and parenting before I was married or a parent. And I don't probably know why. Good. I, it's probably a great it, idea, actually. <laughs> it, it was. It was great because I tell people if, you know, and it's a common uh, analogy, if you wait till you have kids, try to learn how to parent them. It's like trying to change the wings of an airplane while you're in flight. Mm. It's just, it's that's a good, that, that's a good analogy, It's impossible. Yeah. So yeah, I learned a lot of stuff beforehand and I think it, it, it helped. 
<laughs> it helped. I can't, I can't say that I did the same. And so you probably did, or you tried to parent taking the best of what your parents did or try to avoid the worst of what your parents did. Because most of us do. Yeah, you do the extremes. My dad constantly is cooks so much effing food is ridiculous. It'd be like four of us, and it's like you think entire <laughs> twenty five people are coming. It's just like oh, it's dude. been been like that. You're his making whole life. my mouth water, dude. <laughs> I love your dad's cooking. <laughs> but when when he uh, when he's sipping on grandpa's old cough medicine, um, a good amount, he gets into the story that he'll share with his dad about how he was probably seven or eight, I think, and he went to reach for the last pork chop, and his dad just slapped the shit out of him. Mm. And he always, I was like, dad, that's why you make so much damn food all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. he just, he's cause he even says, he's like, I will never have that, allow that happen at my family. There's always going to be enough food. Everybody's always going to be able to get extra and go back for seconds. And boy, has he stuck to that? Cause <laughs> dude, how, how does trauma affect behavior? That mm. right there is, is, is what you're talking about. And your dad's he's grown. He's got to be 60, 70. He is 70. 80? He's going to be 71 in November. And that happened 60 some odd years ago. Mm-hmm. And to this day, his behavior is still, still. shaped. Yep. Yeah. It's still shaped by, yeah. Powerful. Well. Trauma is, is a crazy thing, especially mm-hmm. when you're a kid. Yeah. I always say you, you can't help but screw your kids up. I always say that. We all, <laughs> we all screw our kids up. You just, yeah. there's no way around it. And the, yeah. the harder you try, you again, it goes into that overprotection. Then you're really screwing them up because. Exactly. <laughs> but that's, that's your point altogether, right? So yep. like you protect your kid because you don't want them to have trauma because you don't, you don't want them to be screwed up like you or like me. And then we end up overprotecting them and, and then they, they don't know how to function mm-hmm. creatively, adventurously to face challenges in the real world. It's a tension, right? These things are working against each other. Everything is a, is a, is a balance, man. And yeah. it's a balance between every, whether it's humility and confidence, whether it's, um, I don't know, a million other things you can think of that have, they have to have a balance between everything in life. I used to say when I was in rehab, I would go around saying the B word and call it balance because balance. literally, yeah, literally everything it comes back to, you need the balance in. Can I, and, can I just throw this out to you? I, I, I don't know if I believe in balance anymore. No, no. And I think a few years back, maybe a decade ago, I was like, I don't know about balance. So I, I believe in seasons and cycles. Okay. And I think that creates balance overall. But like there's a season, no matter where you go, there's a rainy season, there's a hot season, there's a dry season, there's tides, right? They, they come in. Sometimes it's a mega tide, sometimes it's low tides and everything moves in seasons. And so I think, I think that there's going to be seasons in all of our lives and we need to learn to embrace them instead of cursing them and saying, I'm out of balance like I'm in a dark season of the soul. Crap, I'm out of... <laughs> it's just the winter. It's just the winter, man. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like going balls out and you're working hard at something. You're like, I'm out of balance. No, this is just your season. And you got to push through your season and then the next season will come. But you, I think the problem comes when when we don't get out of season, mm-hmm. when we get stuck in, in a gear, if you will, to shift analogies. And so we're stuck in at high RPMs and then we stay there too long and then something breaks and we're like, well, we screwed that up. But I, I think the, the, the technique or the, what, what we need to do as people, when we find ourselves in a season and we feel, and, and this goes back to being self-aware, when we begin to feel ourselves getting out of whack to be like, okay, I need to create some sort of finish line to get me out of the season. 
So let's say it's a, I don't know, you just tell yourself, I'm going to get to this point. I'm going to finish this amount. And then I'm going to schedule a vacation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the movies. I haven't gone to the movies in a long time. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to a Friday matinee or something like that, or do something that's different that changes the routine to kind of mark the end of the season so that you can move on. I don't know how we got there. We're supposed to be talking about parenting. No, well, I mean, I guess technically, if we're going to get technical, almost everything as far as introspection goes, I feel like can come back to parenting anyway. So, but I mean, I use the word, I think I use the word balance in the way you almost said it, what Mm -hmm. you just said. It's a constant, like life is like about balancing. You're never going to be done balancing anything. It's always, you're either going to be one side or the other and you know, again, confidence or, you know, humility or, you know, whatever it is, you're going to be more humble one day. And then one day you're going to be a little cocky or next day. It's just a constant back to the word self-awareness, a constant being aware of where you're at. And I don't think there's ever like, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I'm perfectly in between humility and confidence. So I don't have to work on that anymore. Yeah. All right, let's go. So bring me, uh, bring me around Michael to, uh, you know, I guess I should say, I guess I'll ask this question. What has been like the top three things that you have gotten out of parenting? Well, the top three things that I've gotten out of parenting, sense of purpose is number one. Um, so like you said uh, that you've recently felt the weight of uh, how, how important it is to be a parent because uh, like the responsibility of it all. Mm-hmm. I felt that responsibility the moment my daughter was born. Like when she came into the world and I saw like a baby, I was like, wait, crazy. wait a second. This is, this is bananas. And I'm the dad. Uh, I knew what I was there for. And she was so helpless and, you know, slimy and all that. And I just knew that I had, I was needed. Like no one, no one could, could, and like I was important for the first time in my life. I mattered. It was cool. Mike, uh, I guess this might sidetrack us, but it's a question I'm interested in. Do you feel that people who probably, I don't want to say probably because there's no like, you sh- this person should have kids, this person shouldn't, but maybe somebody who isn't ready for it keeps having kids just because of that. Oh, that gives me, makes me feel like I have purpose. Hmm. It makes me feel that um, I know I'm loved and accepted. I mean, I think people have kids for the wrong reasons all the time. I think that's a very common thing. I think people... A, feel like it's their duty for some reason. Like we feel like we have to have kids. I feel like people do it because it's just almost the thing to do <laughs> is that kind of makes light of it. But I really honestly feel people have kids for the wrong reasons. And I wonder how often that comes into play into somebody's mind. Yeah. Like if you're saying, and I, I believe it, like someone's got a hole in their heart and they're like, well, I think, I think I can fill that hole by having a kid and that kid will exist to give me a sense of worth. Then, then that is the wrong reason. And I do think that people do that. And generally that kid is screwed up because they don't have a sense of autonomy and individuality. They're Mm -hmm. being parented in such a way, like they exist to give their parent, their mom or their dad to probably, I'm I'm imagining a situation where it's just one of them. Yeah. Like it's a single (laughs) mom who's just like, I need to have a child in order to give my life meaning and purpose. Uh, So yeah, I think that should not happen. (laughs) Yeah. Though that we can, uh, we can agree. (laughs) Yeah. So well, the original question was three things. Yeah. What are the three, be- one of the, some of the three biggest things? Cause I have, I had that down in my notes, the three top things I think I shared with you and I want to get into that. I was just kind of yeah curious as to what yours are. I think aside from a, a deep sense of purpose and meaning, 
that the other thing that my kid had taught me is, um, and this is more as they, they've become teenagers and I've become uncool, if you will, <laughs> is that I always have to keep learning. There's no rest because culture moves on and they engage fully in the, in the next generation of culture. And I'm not entirely sure what that is. And I used to, right? Because it was my culture, but now it's their culture. So I think that's another thing that I've taken away from them. That's another big one too, man. That's funny how you feel like there's just like a moment, right? When you realize, wow, I am totally not hip anymore or whatever term you want to use. I yeah. totally have no idea like songs on the radio or you know yeah. certain apps, social media apps. Like mm-hmm. there's that point where I like, I'm like, I never even heard of that. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's their thing. And it's that they're native to that. And so it's a learning curve for us. And, and I think that the other big thing that I've learned from them is that, that they, they bring joy to me. Like it used to be like, I brought joy to them. Hmm. When I, when I came home, the, uh, the daddy's home stage, like I'd walk in the door and like, daddy's home. And they run to the door and <laughs> your shoes aren't off yet, but they're clinging to your leg. And, you know, that was, that was a stage. And then it came to be like, they have friends and they have senses of humor and they have jokes that they tell and they make me laugh and they tell me stories of their adventures. That was the other big thing that I didn't see coming. That really makes me look back and say like, man, if we would have had a couple more of these kids, that would have multiplied (laughs) what they bring back to me. And I think the reason we don't do that is because in those early stages when we're having them, we are giving them so much. We're like, we don't, there's nothing left to give. There's no way I could change another diaper, heat up another bottle, wake up at for another kid at three in the morning and switch when they're getting potty trained to change their, their wet sheets again. Like I'm done. No more, no more. But then they get to be 15, 16, 18, 19. And if you've raised them right, they just bring joy back to the house. Hmm. And that's, that's one thing that I was shocked by. So I think those three things. That's awesome too. I think even like, so I guess technically, I don't know if you want to call them stepkids or not, but Christine, you know, I've been with Christine for eight years and she has, I think her son's 20 and her daughter Mary's uh, going to be 18 that she's just went to college now, but it's awesome. Um, to your point, having start having conversations with them and it's like, it's a totally different stage those later teens. And I can start seeing that in my son. They're, they're extremely sheltered. So I feel like they're a little kind of further behind as far as that goes. But, you know, just having those conversations with them and talking about life. And that's one thing that I'm super pumped about with my kids is the meaningful conversations. Yeah. And I think it started early with you when your nine-year-old daughter gets up and gives you a hug and said, Daddy, this wasn't all your fault. I mean, that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. No, it is. And I, you know, I've had those, uh, I'm already known to my kids as, oh, here goes Daddy with his philosophy again. <laughs> it's all good. They'll, they'll yeah. appreciate it. When they get to high school and college and they're like, oh, this is what dad was talking about. <laughs> look at all those, look at all those goofballs over there making ridiculous uninformed decisions. If they had more <laughs> philosophical outlook, then they could be wise like me. That's right. They can't appreciate it now. They're just ahead of the curve. You know, the three things I have written down here, Mike, for, I guess, something that I, at least three things I would want to pass on to my kids. Like if I could say here, it could only give you three things. These are them. The first one for me would be paying attention during amongst your failures or why you're losing or just in struggle in general. I think I tell people after my brother and sister died, I share this all the time because I hope people hear it very often. After my brother and sister died, people said the dumbest things to me. 
the dumbest things I could possibly imagine. I'm like, who says that? I remember thinking, who says that to a 15-year-old whose siblings just died? All right, so what, what can you say? People get awkward. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to deal with it, especially in this country. We don't ever talk about death. Mm -hmm. It's never discussed. Mm -hmm. It's never brought up. It's a taboo. Death and sex. We don't talk about those things. And I just remember thinking, like, who says that? And what can you say to somebody? And I was like, you can't really say anything. There's nothing. So this is what I do say, even though I just said you can't say anything. <laughs> I'll tell people, you know, in, in your, your hardest times, one, first thing, do not forget to cry. Like mm -hmm. when I realized crying was the one of the greatest tools of emotional release and expression, I had to teach myself how to do it. But that's mm -hmm. a, one of the biggest things. Don't forget to cry. And while you're crying and you're on the ground and you're weeping, do your best to pick your head up and try to learn. And that's it. And I think that is one of the things that I want to pass on to my kids, especially my son, because I think the, you know, the whole man crying thing is still in full force. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things I want to pass up. I think because as we talked, touched on in the beginning of the podcast, when do you learn? When do you grow? It's all, mm -hmm. always amongst failure, always yeah. amongst tragedy and challenges and struggles. So that is like the biggest thing I would love to uh, throw at my kids. Yeah, I think that's powerful because if you look at, and you have <laughs> looked at the, the pathology of substance abuse, it's, uh, I don't want to feel this anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I want to feel something different. So whatever I can do to alleviate this pain, this sense of failure, this traumatic experience, this being stressed, depression, whatever it is, then there's an escapism that will be natural and normal for that. But if you teach your kid like, hey, failure is normal, death is normal sex is normal. Mm -hmm. And so we engage in these activities within parameters, right? Because yep. it's, they're powerful things. Then, then you don't, then you can give yourself the freedom to feel and learn and move on. But if we, if we become afraid of feeling it or tired of feeling it or have no mechanism to process those feelings, then substance mm -hmm. abuse and escapism of all sorts, that's what our kids will, will go into. And I, I wonder, Sean, how many times you were told something by some well-meaning idiot that just added to your pain. Just oh my lengthen. gosh, yeah. And just like, this sucks. This sucks. So, uh, dude, I, I, you know, we've known each other a long time. You've, you've had quite the arc of life and philosophy and beliefs. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually really happy to see you where you're at as far as your con the contribution you're making. And, uh, your ability to help others. It's good. It is good. I think it's going back to the kind of the Dunning-Kruger effect thing. It's like, I mean, all, all I all I feel like I'm doing anyway is just kind of talking about the shit that I've sucked at and that I'm trying to get better at. And I, th I mean, what else, what else can you ask from a person? I think that's huge. I wish more people yeah. did it often. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and your vulnerability looks like courage to everyone else. Hmm. Well, that's huge, man. I'll tell you right now, the Brene Brown. I think everybody Heck has seen yeah. it. Everybody has seen it. I remember watching that. I was still married to Michelle. And honestly, I always joke around, Mike, since we're kind of getting into parenting, I guess it can be about relationships too. I always joke around and tell people Brene Brown is the reason why I got a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, kind of half kidding, but somewhat serious. I, re I just remember watching that. This kind of goes hand in hand. Like I just talked to you about the whole when I realized how big of a tool crying is. It was in that same time span. Um, first time was 26. 
first time I ever took uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms. I remember, A, just kind of having this thing snap in my finger, like, wow, there's this whole landscape of consciousness to explore. This is what life is. It's about just kind of moving forward and progressing as an individual and working on yourself. It's not about sitting down and watching the bills every weekend and going to work. And then when you come home, you turn it off, turn the TV on and watch your shows and then wake up again, blah, blah, blah. So I had that. And then I remember I was with my one of my really good friends. We were laughing. You know, the snot running, eyes, yes. gut hurts, cheeks hurt, and we're laughing. And I remember immediately after that feeling, like that feeling of weightlessness, that feeling of uh, mm-hmm. just feeling like a feather. I remember thinking, wow, that's the exact feeling you get after you're done weeping. Hmm. The same thing's wow. going through. It's for a different reason. Usually it's a sad reason, right? Usually it's a darker and more depressing reason, but it's still the same release. It's still the same feeling afterwards. Like, wow, I feel lighter. And I just remember realizing, okay, weeping, that was huge. So that was, this was kind of all the same time of vulnerability. Brene Brown comes on and I remember like, wow, when is the last time I cried? Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't even remember. Like I couldn't even remember <laughs> the last time I cried. Did you try to stop yourself from crying or you just never felt like you had tears? Um, or had sadness? No, no, I definitely was stopping myself. I don't think anybody just doesn't have tears. I think it's, I think, uh, I mean, everybody feels something, right? Everybody's Every dude, especially that says they don't. I mean, everybody's has a moment within a decade where they're gonna where they could cry. Did someone tell you that you shouldn't cry, or you just got it in your own head that no, you're tired I mean, of that's, crying? Or? I mean, that's everywhere though. I mean, that's society in general is like, don't be a bitch, <laughs> right? Yeah. Don't cry. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that's exactly what you hear all the time. And if you don't, you see it on TV shows. You see it, you know, everywhere. It's like my brother broke my collarbone at one point, and my dad was telling me to stop crying. Like I'm laying on the couch with my collarbone popped out and my dad's Dude, like, you're fine. Stop crying. You talk about, you talk about parenting, right? <laughs> right. So what is it that your grandfather did to your dad that made him feel like mm-hmm. you can't let your kid cry, right? Or what was happening inside your dad's own heart where he's like, I'm terrified of this. I don't like the tears. So I just need him to stop crying for me. <laughs> yeah. None of which has to do with you with taking care of the issue in front of you. <laughs> ah, just geez. Dude, I've spent the last 20 some odd years in ministry telling people to cry. Yeah, it's insane. Brain chemistry wise, uh, it's, it's helpful. It releases hormones, all that stuff to help the brain process and, and be better. So <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. So the male brain, as you get older, males tend to become way more emotional, way more prone to cry. And uh, so I'll be driving along and something, I'll have a thought, uh, something will come on the radio, something will be moving, the evening news, and I'll, I'll cry, dude, mm. I'll, I'll cry. And I'm like, okay, just let that happen. I'm not going to stop and just let it finish. And I'll be driving sometimes and I'm like, boy, I hope no one's looking right now because I'm just going to let this go. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, Michael. Oh, I mean, that literally, gosh. I did that last week I was driving. Christine and yeah. I were in Columbus and we're uh, like, I really, really try not to fight. Granted, I'm not going to be like in the office working and just break down, like bawling yeah. my eyes out in front of everybody because yeah. that's a little awkward. But right. Um, we were in Columbus walking back to the car to come home, open the door and my son's shirt is there. Mm. And I picked it up and immediately I just picked the shirt up and immediately just started crying. Yeah. And it was just like that. And and it kind of goes back to how we started in this. The Brene Brown vulnerability crying thing is it just is something we don't do often enough. We always try to fight it and, and shove it to side. 
when my daughter graduated high school and, and went away to college, no one told me it would be as painful as it was. It <laughs> broke my heart. And so I had a dream about her uh, as I was waking up. My wife was, was up and she was in the room. And um, I was like ugly crying in bed to the point that my wife had to sit next to me and console me. I was like, I missed it. She's grown up. She's gone. I've squandered it. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it was bad. It, the, the dream was she was a toddler again. And she looked up at me with those big baby eyes and the round cheeks and said, I love you, daddy, or something like that. And, and uh, yeah, it just broke my heart. Yeah, parenting, crying, hand in hand. <laughs> See the shirt, you cry. It is. Oh, it's, it's tough, man. I don't know. I think for me, it was a big... Um recently because obviously my i tell people all the time my divorce my mistake of letting her leave with the kids thinking that everything would be cool and she wouldn't try to keep them from me and all that and i think all that that though that challenge there i tell people all the time i would rather go through my brother and sister dying over and over again than ever do that again than ever to look somebody in the eyes and say i can't do this. I'm not really in love with you. To do that to my kids, I think, I mean, that was my whole, I mean, drug abuse, escapism. Like, I just couldn't handle that pain. Like, it really literally feels like when I think about my kids, just being, if you could kind of make this a feeling, stabbed in your soul almost. And it's so, it's immediately, like, even now I can feel like the the emotions and the tears like that want to come. And it's just a con, like, it doesn't get any, any better, any easier. But I've learned how to deal with it. I've learned how Mm -hmm. to to live with it and accept myself. And if you would have asked me, I was five, six years ago, you know, what I was good at. The only thing I would have ever said was being a parent, mm. you know, and I think just being honest, you talked about apologizing to your kids. You've talked about, you know, so many different things where it's just be real with them, be authentic with them. And again, kind of, obviously you're not going to watch your, two, let your two year old watch a rated R movie, like you said, but just they're human beings. And I feel like we kind of look at our kids almost not that they're not humans, but that they're kind of like separate in a sense. I don't know if that's sounding right, but like you just always want to treat them like a kid as opposed to just having those conversations with them and teaching them to get through the pain. Right. And so your kids are at an age now, though, where you're beginning to really see the transition. You know, yeah. they got peach fuzz on the face. We're like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. I remember when I had peach fuzz on the face. And geez, that deep voice, deep voice. And <laughs> How are you going to pop that? You're going to pop that? Or are you going to leave that? <laughs> Listen, don't pop that yet, right? So you get to this stage where, <laughs> where they become not children anymore. And if you don't parent them well when they're younger, you've lost them by the time they're 14, hmm. really. It, the, the time for boundaries and responsibility, I mean, it's, I, I think it's over like, like 12, 11 or 12, like all the trust that they need to have. Those, those programs have been coded mm-hmm. by then. But, then, but yeah, you, you, as a parent, you see it when they're 13, 14, 15. Like this, I can't control this. They are, they are who they are. All mm. I can do is like rail against what they're doing, but they're doing it. But when they're yeah. two to, to, to nine, you can really mold them and influence them. It, it's amazing kind of going back to talking about how you just talk to your kids and talk to them like they're kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Dude, the, I don't know, I'm not making this about like a bash on my ex-wife kind of thing, because I know she really loves our parents. She just, she's never faced any of the shit she's been through. And I Mm. think most parents who are parents, obviously, because I just said parents, most parents, parents who a lot of them have not even gone through and grown up themselves emotionally. They have not gone through their own, their own darkness, their own mistakes, what they flawed. And there's this chapter of this book 
that I really like. It's called, the chapter is titled, Don't Let Your Kids Do Anything That Would Make You Hate Them. And it's interesting because, I mean, you can see this all the time. Like your kid does something to embarrass you at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're not, I'm not saying you go home and abuse your kid, but you know, you take something away from them when they, you know, misbehave out of, out of spite and parents can act like kids to their kids. And I've seen this. And so my point of getting where I'm going with this is when my kids were up here, they're just, I don't, I don't know how Michelle is just kind of the super extremely overprotective, so overprotective that my nine-year-old daughter was making jokes about how overprotective she is when she was up here. <laughs> like that's how overprotective she is, but there's no teaching because how can somebody who hasn't learned anything teach somebody that? And so go ahead. No, I was just going to say um, when they were here and they would start bickering and arguing and my response wasn't just, will you guys stop it? What are you doing? We got it. I'm taking this away. It was it, literally in this tone. You know, if we're not going to start, if we can't get along, we're going to have to turn this off. We're going to have to go in separate rooms. We're not going to do this tonight. And it took one time in the four and a half, almost five weeks they were up here. One time. And I didn't even take anything away other than games. We still watched the movie that night. I did that just straight up. Nope. Sorry. Please, please. Nope. We have to make sure we get along. You know, we can't be doing this. We have to get our, you know, our feelings. We're upset. We're tired. We're annoyed. We have to let each other know that blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And that was it. And they were good. And I would just have to bring it up to them when they when they started arguing. Guys, if we're not going to, we're going to have to turn everything off and do something different. And it just worked. And it's just yeah. so amazing how that speaking and that just talking and can just totally change. Um, my kids were like two different, totally different kids than when they first come up here. Because I see the materialism in them when they're first up here. They want, 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 because that's how Michelle tries to earn their love um, is with buying stuff. And I just see it. And then it's really just such a quick change because that's, a, I mean, when you treat your kid, they're shocked. Like, holy cow, they're just, he's just talking to me. Yeah. Like I'm not getting yelled at or things taken away. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's a, like a punitive type of parenting where you punish them to try to get them to be. Mm. Uh, and then there's like leading by example and explaining. So when you don't yell at a kid because they're having feelings, you validate, validate their feelings. Them. Yes. <laughs> Hey, you have feelings and that's normal. We all have feelings. But when you come at a kid, you have feelings. So I'm screaming at you, yelling at you. I get to have feelings as a parent, but you don't. Or, mm-hmm. and, and then you therefore reinforce, like you just, you just nurture that feeling. And then when you're a grown up like me, then you can use your feelings to, to overpower other people. Yep. Terrible lesson. Terrible lesson. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so my kid, my youngest, when he was a baby, he had a temper. And uh, he would, when, when he would get really, really out of sorts, it's like, okay, you got to go to your room. It's okay to cry. It's okay to scream, but you can't act like that out here. Just go to your room and do it in there. And he would be like the Tasmanian devil and he'd rip posters off the wall and oh, rip Lord. stuff and flip his bed and like knock over furniture. And we'd go in in like a half hour, 45. Hey buddy, how you feeling? Feel okay? You want to talk about it? Okay. Now you have to put your room back together <laughs> and made him <laughs> responsible for his own feelings. But we never, we never, we tried not to make our kids feel guilty for having feelings. Just kind of like, okay, why are you sad? Why are you angry? What, what are these tears for? And then help them uh, get to the other side. Well, they, they learn that so quick, man. They learn so quick that early on that they can almost like, uh, I guess, they want to hide stuff like they don't want to make you feel bad either. Yeah. My daughter had really just it's it's shocking how little like even when my kids were coming up here in Florida, how much they 
obviously they miss down there. They love it. That's kind of their main home. But my daughter, who has been, what has it been? I don't know. Jeez, it's been eight years. So Kayla was coming up here at a very young age and being cool with everything, being away from her mother. This, um, this when she was up here, she usually gets the, the sad I miss home thing. I miss mommy thing when she something doesn't go her way or whatever. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But she was, she was legitimately kind of crying about it. She was super tired. They were a little cranky, but I, she would not. When I could see, she was starting to cry, and I was like, "What's up, baby girl?" Nothing, you know that thing. So finally, it's like I get it out of her, and she starts crying a little more, and just says she misses home. And I said, "Okay, why didn't you? Why didn't you want to say that to me?" Like, I was like, "You have every right to feel this way, <laughs> and don't mm-hmm. let anybody ever tell you that you." can't feel a certain feeling like it's it's unbelievable how she was trying to hide it so i didn't feel bad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that i didn't feel guilty and i just i remember telling her i was like don't you ever ever be scared to tell me anything because you're afraid yeah. that it will hurt me yeah like yeah. if you feel Sweetie, this way you tell me yeah you are not responsible for daddy's feelings exactly daddy's responsible for daddy's feelings you get to be who you are and feel whatever you want and then how i feel is my responsibility and that's that's good boundaries for a kid to learn that lesson but uh unfortunate that she doesn't or that she feels otherwise but i also think that there are certain personalities that are more attuned to the emotional response of people around them are you familiar with the enneagram oh yeah yeah so an enneagram a person who's a nine has an innate desire to make sure that everyone else around them is at peace. Yeah. And so if your daughter's a nine, she's like, oh man, I would rather hold my feelings in if I think daddy will feel a certain way about it. And that's just their personality, but it's still healthy to teach them. Now, sweetie, you just, you, you be you, you be you. So well, that's nine, huge. Huh? That is, uh, I am. I mean, it's been a long time. I'm curious to redo the Enneagram. I was into it quite a few years ago. But since my, over these last three or four years, I'm curious to see what changes I would have if I retaken that. Yeah. So I'm very interested in that. Yeah, I've got, uh, my buddy Dave is really into the Enneagram. I remember years ago, he was going on and on about it. So I might have a book um, on it, but. I'm, I'm into it, man. I'm into it. Yeah, it's one of the better personality things that I have come across. Yeah, same. Yeah, definitely, definitely one of the better. And so even with my daughter, she's 21, we, uh, she found it at, at school. And so she, she typed herself and then I got into it. I'm actually a certified Enneagram coach now. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's what we should have been doing. Next time. We're going to have to do another podcast on the Enneagram. Love it. I'd love it. Michael, so as we're uh, wrapping up, because I don't want to take a ton of your time, um, I could sit here and talk forever with you as, as usual. But Bro, I love you, man. Before you say anything else, dude, I love whenever I come back in town and we sit down and we talk and it's as if no time has passed mm-hmm. and, and like the waitress wants to like leave and we're still talking. I, I just, <laughs> I love you, bro. And this has been more fun than I thought. And I hope we get to do it again. Yeah. Oh, I love you too, man. I've always, uh, oh, it's funny. Obviously I'm not very, uh, quiet. Not that I'm like out loud protesting Christianity or anything, but you know, it's obviously it's not my cup of tea and I mean, I'm not quiet about it. I'm not silenced, but silent about it anyway. And that's what somebody said. Like, you're going to have, I was like, yeah, I love this dude, man. Like I've had, I can have awesome conversations with him. He's one of the best listeners I've ever known. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I love our conversations. I would love to, uh, love to keep them going for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get out of here, I want to hear like, you're just kind of, I don't know, your, uh, your Super Bowl speech advice 
on like parenting? What is like the, some of the keys and number one thing or whatever, like you had a parent and you only had like five minutes to tell them, share with them something about parenting. You know, what would you, what would you be? What would it be? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say become a student of your child, know who they are and help them be the best version of themselves and give them the guardrail to do that well. So I think there's guardrails. So for us, it was be obedient, respectful, and honest. It felt like those were transferable concepts and principles that would serve them well in any context. So at home, you want them to be obedient, respectful, and honest to the parent. At school, you want them to be obedient, respectful, and honest to their teachers. And when they get to the job, to their coworkers. So we just felt like that was good. It also made it simple for us as parents. I'll never forget when my daughter Maya was a baby, she was rooting around in the bathroom and she came out. We, we heard sounds in the bathroom. And so water sounds, and we didn't hear water running. We just heard water. So we went in there and she had taken the toilet brush and stuck it in the water and was sucking water off the toilet brush. Mm. And so, right. <laughs> so the initial is like, like no. an emotional, exactly emotional reaction is what are you doing? And, um, you know, the rule is always be obedient, respectful, and honest. And I'm like, well, we never told her <laughs> don't play in the toilet and don't suck, suck water up that thing. So we have to tell her these things so that she'll know. And then, then she's responsible to do them. And so we, so we told her, you know, and, 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 and sweetie, you have to be obedient. It's not good water. Don't, don't do that again. Even if you're thirsty, ask us for water. And so when you have those guardrails for us as parents, then we don't have to get emotional and flip out. Be like, well, did we tell them not to do that? No. Mm. So blank canvas uh, makes it easier for them, makes it easier for us. I think those are the things. One of the biggest, I think, things that I, like mind, sh- mind shifts that I had was when I kind of realized that the, the best way to change the world or to change the universe is to work on you. Mm-hmm. And I think that is probably if, if I could give anything to my kids, if it was just that mindset of I have to look inward, not outward. I mean, everything else can happen from there, I feel. I, I think that's that's the uh, the key that so many people are worried about everything else that's going on. And not that there's um good things going on, like, you know, to raise money for cancer or whatever. You know, those are all great things. But I feel like if everybody in the world just started focusing on them, and the things that they needed to get better at and work on and the things that they are good at because so many people can't even say anything they're great at either, which is interesting. But if people did that, I think, I mean, that's when you would have actual change. Yeah. So I, there's a nuance to what you said there, because you said if people just focused on them. So if we have more narcissistic self-absorbed people, we won't be good. But if I think if we have people who are intent on improving and becoming better, and healthier, mm-hmm. then I think the world would be better. And I think that's an important distinction. Kids, kids come out uh, completely self-absorbed and not self-aware, just self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. And if they are taught to just focus on themselves, and I do think that we're, we're going on the wrong path, but the idea of, and the tagline of your program is, if you make the world, to make the world a better place, be a better you, I think that is absolutely a, a, a fine lesson, mm-hmm. an important lesson to teach our children. The question is, and this is the one that that uh, kids will want to answer is why? Why do I want to self-improve? Why do I care about the rest of the world? And if we there's a there's a greater responsibility that I think we have towards society, which is you know ideas of inclusivity and and uh, tolerance and all that, mm-hmm. which are honestly 
from an evolutionary kind of perspective in one avenue, counterproductive, right? Because we draw these arbitrary lines of family and me and, and borders. And, and, uh, and so this is me and this is mine and that's yours. Like what, what's the one thing you never have to teach a kid? Mine. <laughs> you, you teach a kid to share, right? Yep. And so I think in, in kind of a deep way, yeah, parenting is, is teaching kids to self-improve, but to self-improve because it makes everyone better. Mm-hmm. What's well, you know? It's funny. I think um, I guess the word selfish is is a strange one. You know, you see people all the time who are selfless but don't take care of themselves. They take better care of their dogs than themselves. And mm-hmm. I think there's a point where what's it? Um, what's this book? I just I did a video for her. It's called. She wrote it called "Selfish Is the New Selfless," and it's basically about how like when you start focus on yourself. And you can put yourself first. That's when you can start actually helping other people. That's when I realized I could start yeah. working with other people because now I have boundaries. Now I can say, no, I don't want to do this when you don't feel like doing it and you end up being healthier. And I think it's kind of words. Language is so, so strange, man, because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. how even that word selfish can mean so many different mm-hmm. things. It can mean right. mine, 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 or it can be um, putting me first because I'm tired and I don't feel like doing this. I have a boundary here. And which is healthy, you know, so yeah, yeah. It, it's funny how uh, language can get uh, just have so many nuanced. different meanings. It's nuanced, yes. right? Oh, man. So selfish, self-care, self-absorbed. Um, <laughs> I, I'm all about self-care. I call it poisoning the well. They mm. said, um, if you if you don't take care of yourself and you're the well, the water that you begin to give other people is polluted. So you've got to take care of you. I love it. Yes, sir. That is uh, a huge piece of it. Michael. I love you, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this with me. Sean, I'm proud of you. I love you too. This is amazing. Honored to be a part of it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm actually, honestly, I'm probably gonna edit it uh, the next few days and release it Monday. Cool. So I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to let you know. Any. Um, I don't. First of all, do you want anybody to be able to, you know, get in touch with you if they wanted to reach out on LinkedIn? I don't know if you want to put any of that out there. Not that I have this huge podcast where you're going to get swarmed <laughs> with people, but I always like doing that because you never know. Yeah. Well, I do have a LinkedIn profile. I don't even know what it is. I'll link it. Yeah. I'll put it in uh, the podcast description. Oh, well, I'm on Instagram and Facebook too, man. I can track my, my likes of the bills and all that crazy <laughs> stuff and pictures of my kids. Awesome. All right, brother. I appreciate it, man. All right, dude. And uh, we will uh, we'll do this again for sure, I think. Yeah. Enneagram and all that other jazz we'll, we can talk about too. So I'm down. All right. I'll be in touch. Take care, man. Great right. talking with you. You too. All Peace. Right. Bye-bye.